0: The podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter. Sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. I have the privilege this morning of, uh, of st- <laughs> starting to bring this series to a close. Now, some of you will have just gone, um, what? What? Um, am I hearing that right? This series started in 1974 and it's finally coming to a close. Um, uh, yes, we are nearly there. I joke about 1974, but 10 months ago, yes, 10 months ago, we began looking at John's Gospel. Chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God and with God, and in two weeks' time we're going to finish. Now, I joke about that, I actually think it's been really healthy for us to go through all of this Gospel together. Uh, we're looking at come and, come and See, and this morning... Um, we're at the moment. Am I right to go now, Mark? I'm going to try. Am I still going? Yes. Here we go. We're at the moment this morning and um, we've been building to this for 10 months. If you're just new to us this morning, don't worry, we're going to go through and we're going to just try and help join all the dots together. Um, if you haven't been with us or if you have been with us, uh, you'll have known that uh, John's gospel kind of broadly splits into two sections. John 1 to 11 is all about Jesus' life. And from John 12 onwards, we hurtle at breakneck speed, really, towards Jesus' death. And this morning, we're at the crucifixion uh, of Jesus. Now, a few weeks ago, this man came to see us, Steve Rouse from LICC. I was away. I was in Nottingham. I caught up online, and as I listened online, I found out that Steve had name-checked me and given me a gold medal in, in props. Um, Thanks, Steve. I really appreciate your gold medal, and I wouldn't want to disappoint um, Steve if he ever catches up online again, um, because I'm bringing the whole gang out once more for one final time in John's Gospel, and uh, we're going to just have a look through um, a couple of things, because the passage we look at has some callbacks, and we'll talk about that uh, more in a moment. Um, But there we go. I think think we're all in in place there. Um, Uh, Steve uh, and I would absolutely agree on this. That's not a prop. That is not a prop there, the cross. And um, uh, personally, uh, if you've been here for any length of time, you'll notice that I spend quite a large amount of my preaching just wheeling it around. Um, The reason I do that is I have a real clear reason for this. I think that our world and society spends spends its time wheeling it off-centre. And it's our job, week in, week out, to just place it back center for this church, for this city, and for this world. And this morning, we get to look right in detail at the cross. And why is it so important? Well, quite simply, the cross is the greatest act of God's love, power, and justice in the whole of history. God came into this world. He suffered and died on a cross to save us, and it's the ultimate proof, the ultimate proof, of his love for you and his love for me. And it's why you see crosses everywhere in relation to the church. If you were to go and speak to some sort of marketing expert, they would tell you that the logo a company chooses is absolutely vital. Uh, The logo embodies all that an organization is about and what wants to communicate to you. Kiri Goldstein once said this, uh, a logo serves as the face of your business and helps your audience recognize who you are and what you stand for. Here is Belmont Chapel's logo. There it is right now. Uh, There have been previous iterations of our logo. There it is. There's another one. There was a previous one that was very controversial because it changed from that middle one. Big change there. Um, I'm joking. It's a great coffee. Um, Our our logo has been a cross, and as far as I can see, will always be a cross, which may seem very obvious to be a cross, But on another level, it's incredibly strange. The cross is an emblem of suffering and shame and um, would leave many marketing gurus absolutely scratching their heads about why you would do this. Crucifixion was the cruelest form of capital punishment. It was reserved for murderers and other heinous crimes. Cicero was a Roman statesman, and he once said this, the idea of the cross... Should come uh, should never come near the bodies of Roman citizens. It should never pass through their thoughts, eyes, or ears. Uh, Roman citizens were beheaded, not crucified. Jews shared their horror, and they preferred stoning than execution when they were in charge uh, or could carry out executions. Now, I could say plenty this morning from a medical perspective on the grim details of crucifixion, uh, but the information's out there. If you want to go and read books about it, if you want to look online about it, uh, this morning I'm going to do this. I'm going to talk about the why of crucifixion and not the what. Uh, Because despite the sadness and the shame of it all, somehow what takes place or took place on a hill called Calvary has become arguably the most important fact of Jesus' life. And the cross is the most powerful logo and the best logo there ever has been and ever will be. So we're going to look at it this morning, but we are really going to emphasize that why. If we don't have our why's, this is kind of corporate speaking, Now, often you can lose your how and your what. So we're focusing on the why. We're going to look at John 19 now. I'll put it on screen. Uh, We're on John 19, 16, verse 16, we're going to start, 16b, second part of that, and we'll go through, uh, and I'll put it on the screen as well. As we read it together, a couple of things for you to look out for. I want you to see if you can see a couple of callbacks. Okay? If you've been here for a while, here are your clues. Okay? Um, if you haven't, we'll, get, we'll explain it. Um, but as well as the, the callbacks, look at the words that Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say much in this passage, but look carefully at it together. Let's read together. Uh, John nineteen sixteen b So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, Here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received this drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath, because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down, The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he he was already dead, the soldiers are proper executioners, that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The only medical thing I'm going to say this morning, because I'd be maths about my depth, that means you're dead. You're dead. Blood and water means you're dead separate. That's a really key detail. There's a swoon theory out there that Jesus didn't die. He's dead, absolutely dead. The man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus bought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, those are um, eternity-altering words. Father, we're not going to get to even scratch the surface on those words. We'll miss out sections due to time. Um, Father, please help us to know the why of this more. And Father, then as a result, Father, we pray we live more for Jesus. Thank you so much that he died for us. Please help us in this time we have together to understand it better, we pray. Amen. Um, Over the past few weeks, as we've accelerated towards Jesus' death... Um, you may or may not have noticed uh, the physical pain that Jesus has been experiencing. Um, so uh, John eighteen twenty-two, he's slapped in the face by a high priest official. Uh, start of chapter 19 in verse 1, Pilate takes Jesus and has him flogged. The very next verse, soldiers twist a crown of thorns that's, and place it on his head, uh, ripping into his, 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 his cranium, essentially. Verse nineteen, uh, verse three of chapter nineteen, he slapped in the face, uh, again. And today we've just read in that passage there that Jesus has carried his cross. Now, whether he was carrying the full cross or the crossbar, um, if he's carrying the crossbar, it's probably another forty kilograms. We've also read about him being nailed to a cross, hands and feet. What's quite interesting, I don't know about you, but Jesus experienced lots and lots of the most severe physical pain. We haven't heard him complain. Have you, know, have you noticed that just in, in John's gospel, but else, elsewhere, up until this point, Jesus hasn't made a single, said a single word about the physical pain he's, he's felt. In other gospels, it's the same. When they blindfolded him and beat him up, he opened not his mouth. When they scourged him and ripped flesh off his back, Jesus doesn't say a thing. When they put thorns on his brow, nothing. When they pound nails through his feet and hands, we don't hear a complaint It's quite interesting. I think that you don't get it. But in John's gospel, in what we just read, in the words that Jesus says, we get the first indication that Jesus needs something. Did you see that? Jesus said very few words in that passage, but they're really, really key. The first uh, that Jesus says on the cross, he says this in verse 28, later knowing that everything had now been fulfilled and so scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty." Now, in some ways, absolutely, that seems obvious, doesn't it? You're being crucified in the Middle East, under the Middle Eastern sun. Crucifixion is, uh, would make you dehydrated. So absolutely, he would be thirsty. But, but why that? Seems strange, isn't it? If i if, just try to think, if that was me, I'd be like, those nails. <laughs> and, and all the things that have happened to him. Well, it's a callback, as well as fulfilling scripture. It's a callback. Jesus says, when he says, I'm thirsty, it might seem odd. But it's because there's something more than physical thirst that is going on. At this point, Jesus' words show that something infinitely more important and significant is taking place on the cross. Can you remember the only other time in the gospel when Jesus is thirsty? Um, There's a clue here. It's this bin, or should I say well... Um, I'm glad, can I say, I'm really glad this has had a number of outings. The paper cost me five pounds from Amazon, so I'm delighted. Um, it has been well good. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, back in chapter four, um, we get callback one from the cross. So Jesus says, I thirst. Back in chapter four, we read of Jesus being thirsty. Back in October, we looked at John chapter four uh, and Jesus being thirsty in his counter with the woman at the well. Uh, Jesus is on his way to Galilee, uh, uh, and he's hot, and he's in need of a drink, and he meets a woman who, by all accounts, Jesus shouldn't have met. Jesus shouldn't have met this woman for ethnic reasons. He shouldn't have had a conversation with her for cultural reasons. He shouldn't have had a conversation with her for geographic reasons, for gender reasons. Uh, Jesus should have avoided this lady. It shouldn't have happened, but it did happen because it's Jesus, and Jesus crosses all racial, cultural, moral, and gender boundaries you could ever imagine. Jesus bridges all the human divides that you could ever think of. Quick plug for next week. We've got some more baptisms next week, which are going to be sensational. Don't miss them. And Jesus meets this woman. And as Jesus does when he meets people, he changes her life. And the initial conversation is all about physical thirst. So Jesus really wants a drink of water. And so the conversation is about physical thirst, but Jesus being Jesus changes that conversation. And he takes it from physical thirst into spiritual thirst. And Jesus says, anyone or everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks this water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, you imagine if you're the woman on the end of that, you'd be like, hello, <laughs> I'm quite interested in that. I come to this well every day. I travel miles. It's tiring. Uh, if you've got some, something to drink that I'll never thirst again, and do, I'm in. So Jesus has got this woman hooked. And so at this point then, uh, Jesus says, well, go and get your husband and we'll have a chat about it. The woman then says back to him, well, I, I don't have a husband. Jesus then says, yeah, you're right. When you say you've got no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. Now, I don't know about you, but that's strange and a bit like, whoa, that's escalated quickly, hasn't it? Here's a lovely conversation we're having. And then suddenly Jesus has gone and turned it into a conversation about my, this woman's failed love life. Jesus, what, what's going on? You're meant to be kind, you know. Very important, Jesus is not changing the topic of conversation here. And Jesus is not being unkind. Jesus never unkind. Jesus is always infinitely and wonderfully loving. And what's going on here is, is actually the reason this lady at the well is in a mess is because she is thirsting for something other than God. If you look in your life anywhere else for ultimate meaning, love, joy, security, hope than Jesus... You will be thirsty again. Now, you might remember this phrase if you were here at the time. We talked about this. Only Jesus can quench the thirst within. That was true in October when we looked at chapter 4. It's true now, and it's going to be true forever. Jesus is the only place that you can find eternal hope, love, meaning, forgiveness, and purpose all rolled into one. Jesus is the only one who can quench the thirst within. We live in a world that says, come and see this. It'll bring you a lot of pleasure. Or come and see this. This will bring you like security and influence. Come and see this. You'll get like control. If you... What the world offers is all temporary. Jesus is the only one who can truly satisfy. Now, we don't have time to delve into this. But in the Bible, first is a metaphor for spiritual emptiness that comes when God is not at the centre of your life, as the deer pants for the water. All all metaphors uh, you hear. And on the cross, when Jesus says, I am thirsty, absolutely, he's probably physically thirsty. Absolutely, there's callbacks to the Old Testament as well. But it shows us that Jesus is facing the ultimate thirst when he dies on a cross. Jesus Christ was getting what everybody deserved for all of their sins, Jesus is thirsting so that we can have living water. Jesus is thirsty so we can have the spring of water welling up towards eternal life. On the cross, Jesus dies in our place for our sins so that we can know forgiveness. We can be brought back to God. He's our substitute. He's experiencing and taking the thirst that we should need, we should take, But now we never need to thirst again. That's why we bang about the cross a lot. That's what Jesus does. Thank you, Jesus. There's another callback. You probably spotted it. This one was a bit more obvious, wasn't there? In the bit after Jesus has died, he's taken down from the cross. A guy called Joseph of Arimathea asks Pilate for his body, along with a man that we've met before. There he is, Nicodemus, in this passage. Now, when we first met Nicodemus, it was... um, a very, very different situation. It was late at night. Now, if the woman at the well um, was one of society's very, uh, the bottom of society, this guy was at the top of society very much. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. It's like a bishop, an MP, a professor of theology, all rolled into one. He has made it. He is part of the elite. He's intrigued by Jesus in John chapter three, but he couldn't be seen to be intrigued by Jesus, so he goes to him late at night in the dark, under the cover of darkness, and they have a conversation. Uh, they do that at night, so first-century paparazzi can't snap the event. Jesus talks to Nicodemus, and uh, what follows is a conversation. And Nicodemus is utterly, utterly baffled by what is going on. Jesus talked to Nicodemus about his need to be born again. That's what Jesus says to him. Now, Nicodemus can't process that. He's really, really confused. He's, he's kind of medically confused by, by the imagery that Jesus is, is talking about. But he's largely confused because he's a Pharisee. I'm Nicodemus. Like, if I'm not right with God, then no one's right with God because I'm the big shot in this town. But actually, he's not. Uh, when I was growing up, I was really challenged um, as a teenager by two sentences from a Steve Gork book called... Uh, it makes sense. In the book, Gork Roger rightly points out this. Go with it a second. Just go with it. it says this. If, if you go to McDonald's, it doesn't make you a burger. Um, the idea is this. If you simply go to a church, it doesn't make you a Christian. That's something I think I thought when I grew up. I walk across the threshold. Christian. Where we go. No. The next sentence it said was, if you're born in a garage, it doesn't make you a car. The idea is this. If you're born in a Christian family and brought up in a Christian family, it doesn't make you a Christian either. Now, at the time, that was a huge revelation for me. By walking in this place, by being born with Christian parents, does not make you a Christian. The truth is that for me, for you, for Nicodemus, and for the whole of humanity, it's absolutely not about what you know or what you do. It's about who you know. Simply that, being a Christian is about knowing... And following Jesus. Now, after Nicodemus' first encounter at Dead of Night, Smith and Jones style, um, we don't really know what happens. Nicodemus' last words recorded in John 3 are, How can this be? He just seems really, really confused. Uh, but we meet Nicodemus thinking about chapter 7, and we meet him again now. And I think we get a real strong indication that everything has changed for Nicodemus after this conversation. Um, Just have a look at the passage we're there. He's now the passage we've read. It's not dark. It's not night. We're in the middle of day. He's happy to be seen carrying Jesus's body, and it appears I think that he's become a follower of Jesus. That he's processed this idea about being born again, and he's been born again. Why am I so confident in that? Well, I mentioned this back in October, but just have a look at a detail that John gives us about the burial. So. Uh, When you buried someone, a traditional Jewish household would take five pounds of spices and alloys, myrrh and alloys, to bury someone. Nicodemus comes along with 75 pounds of this. I read somewhere, I don't know if it's entirely accurate, if you equated it now, it's like quarter of a million pounds worth. Nicodemus has had a massive... hes changed, hasn't he? I certainly don't take quarter of a million pounds to burials that I don't think are significant never done that anyway. Um, It's huge, isn't it? Nicodemus has been completely transformed. He used to go around looking for Jesus in the dark. Now he's public with a £75 statement in front of him. Jesus is my king. Now we've banged on about a verse a lot in this series for really good reasons because John gave us why he's written this, this book, doesn't he? We'll get to it in two weeks' time. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Nicodemus is a prototype, isn't he? Of what John wants to see happen to everybody down history. Everybody in this room. Everybody online. Everybody who ever watches this in the future. Nicodemus came, he saw. He went, Jesus is the Messiah. We've got this spectacularly wrong. Jesus is the son of God. And I'm going to trust him. 75 pounds says so. Nicodemus is actually, he's bearing his king. That's sort of royalty money, 75 pounds worth to bury him with. Callback one, the woman at the well. Jesus is thirsty. He experiences the ultimate thirst, so we don't need to be thirsty again. Callback two, Nicodemus is now prepared to stand up and live for Jesus. Jesus suffered shame, so we no longer need to be ashamed. Isn't that lovely? Last bit, and then I'll sit down. Uh, Now, the uh, the other words that Jesus said on this cross... Are really important because we only read about them in John's gospel and we need to look at them you may have heard of the phrase famous last words Uh, that phrase is often used in an ironic sense isn't it oh so and so they'll never score a goal moments later they score a goal don't they but literal last words I think are quite interesting Uh, Winston Churchill's last words are, are meant to have been I'm bored with it all Steve Jobs allegedly went oh wow oh wow oh wow and that was it Oscar Wilde is thought to have ironically finished his life by saying, this wallpaper and I are fighting a jewel to the death. Either it goes or I do. And um, there are others as well. Uh, Buddha's last words are thought to have been uh, along the lines of, try to accomplish your aim with diligence. What are Jesus' last words? Well, we've read three words in English that come from one word. The three words we read in John 19, verse 30, it is finished. It is finished. That comes from one Greek word. Uh, Tetelestai. Tetelestai. Now, why am I telling you that? Is that just like a fancy bit of info? Woo! No, it's not. It's really, really important. Tetelestai means totally paid. Paid in full. You can only leave a restaurant when you essentially write across the bill tetelestai. If you haven't tetelestai you wash the dishes. You get the idea? Um, Isn't it amazing this? At the point when Jesus is in complete agony, at the point when Jesus is completely powerless, at the moment it seems like he's lost, he is out of control, Jesus says, I did it. I completed it. I won. It's done. You would expect, wouldn't you, in this situation, words of distress, but Jesus goes, It's done. I have completed it. It is finished. In case you're in any doubt, what God has, what Jesus has done is that he's bridged the gap between God and man. When we close our service, we're going to sing these lyrics. How great the chasm that lay between us. What Jesus did was he bridged that chasm. No one else could, but Jesus did. He's finishing it once and for all. And that is what makes Christianity different to all other religions. Whilst Buddha may say, go on, try, try to accomplish your ends. Jesus goes, it's done. It's finished. Now, for many of our young people and students over the last few months, be it GCSEs, A-levels, degrees, when the invigilator says, put your pen down, that's it, isn't it? You can't change your grade. You can't add to your score. When a final whistle goes in a sporting match, the result is etched in history forever. You can't change it, you can't retake something, you can't do anything to the result, it's final. When Jesus says it is finished, it's done. It's done. There is nothing that can change it. But here's the thing sometimes people live like they can, sometimes people live like it's not finished. There are people out there in this world, and there may well be people in this room and online, who keep on beating themselves up for a mistake they've made. It might be something you've done, something you've said, something you keep doing. You can't forgive yourself for it. As a result, you may hate yourself in some way, and you may struggle with something. And you're just really finding it difficult to put one foot in front of the other. If that's you, if you're haunted by something, stop It's finished. It's finished. You do not need to pay for your sins. Jesus did that. Don't try and pay for them. Don't try and pay for one of them because Jesus paid for all of them. You wouldn't take your credit card in the, in the restaurant, would you, if it's all paid for? Don't. It's paid for. Please don't help you hate yourself. Please don't loathe yourself. Just look in awe at what Jesus did for you. It's paid. No one else needs pay. There'll be others at the other end of the spectrum, though, too. People doing well in life, just constantly trying to prove themselves. Uh, We are all human beings, but you would be... uh, Some people act like human doings at times, don't they? I'm just going to do the next thing. I'm going to chase the next thing. More money, more next promotion. Biggest thing, more security, more... And and I'm going to do it. And uh, Stop it. Please stop it. It's finished. It's done. You can't change it. You can't add to it. Our work can't, if we try and add anything to that, we're only going to take away from it. It's finished. If you're trying to prove yourself, you never will. If you're always beating yourself up, please stop. It's finished. Absolutely done. And that is why the cross is the greatest act of God's love, power, and justice in the whole of of history. In death, we're not looking at a victim. We're looking at a victor. On the tree, he bears our sin in his body. One Peter two twenty four. The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us back to God. One Peter three eighteen. And it's done. It's finished. And nothing's going to change that. I need to finish. But you may be thinking now, well, does that mean it's just like slippers and cigars for the rest of life? <laughs> and it's finished. But that's not quite what it means. Um, I'm not sure that this story I'm about to tell you is fully true. I found it in two books. It's about Abraham Lincoln, but I cannot confirm it's true, but it makes a wonderful point, so we're going to use it. Um, Abraham Lincoln went to, is alleged to have gone to a slave auction one day and was appalled by what he saw. He was drawn to a young woman on the auction block and the, beginning, uh, the bidding began and Lincoln was just, uh, was going to bid until he won this, this, this young girl. No matter the cost, the bidding went on, but Lincoln wasn't going to get beat. And he won the bidding eventually. And the girl, he bought the girl and the girl came to him. And at this point, um, uh, Lincoln just said, you're free. And the girl was a bit confused. She said, well, free? I mean, what's that supposed to mean? And Lincoln's like, you're free. You're completely free to go and do whatever you want to do. Well, I can do whatever I want to do. Yes. She said, well, well, can I, can I say whatever I want to say? She went, he went, yes, you can say whatever you want to say. And she's like, well, can I go wherever I want to go? And he went, yes, you can go wherever you want to go. And then the lady's eyes well up. And at this point, she says, well, on that account then, I think I'll go with you. Over the past 10 months, we're encouraged um, to come and see So come and see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Next week, spoiler alert, we're going to get the resurrection. Um, But once we've put our hope and our trust in Jesus, once it's finished, the correct response is, I'll go with you. And I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do because you're the greatest. Jesus, you lived the perfect life. You died the death I couldn't die. You died in my place. I'm going to live for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. The chasm between us was great. It was vast. It was ultimate. But Jesus bridged it. Father, we say thank you. Uh, We can't begin to imagine the cost. We can't um, begin to imagine the pain or anything like that. But what we can do is say thank you. Thank you that you died in our place. Father, the correct response to that is, we'll go with you. Father, we long to, in in Belmont speak, to share the story, live the life. Please help us to do that so that the world hears about this. While the world may try and take this cross off centre stage, Father, help us to put it back centre stage so that many, 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 many might know. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.